Hello and welcome to Democracy in Danger. From the University of Virginia's Deliberative Media Lab, I'm Robert Armengol, the show's producer, and I'm here to introduce our summer lineup of episode flashbacks. A year ago, on June 1st, 2020, in a hail of tear gas, batons, and rubber bullets, military and law enforcement officers moved on Lafayette Square in front of the White House. They cleared protesters who were calling for racial justice and an end to police brutality. In a certain sense, I came away from watching that both sort of horrified and somewhat encouraged. This is religious studies scholar Matthew Hedstrom, who recalled for us the police operation and what came next. President Trump strolled across the empty square and posed for a portrait in front of St. John's Church while holding a Bible. And I was horrified simply by the display of violence and by the notion that this is the president of the United States who thinks this is a good thing to do. And also encouraged that by and large, I think it failed. That image of Trump gripping the scriptures was a vivid symbol of his perplexing relationship with the religious right in the United States. At the same time, as Hedstrom put it, the president's stagecraft was kind of a mess. I mean, it's pretty odd to see Donald Trump trying to appeal to his conservative religious base by defending a very progressive Episcopal church, you know, a church with a strong social justice agenda, also standing there very awkwardly holding a Bible that seemed like a foreign object to Trump. I noticed, maybe not many others noticed, but I noticed it was a version of the Bible, the Revised Standard Version, that came out in the 1940s and that for decades, fundamentalists and evangelicals have thought was a terrible translation because it was all full of modernist scholarship. So the religious dimensions of it were uh, really kind of off base, and yet that didn't matter. The folks who cheered him on uh, didn't really care about those things. What they cared about was the display of authority, the display of power, the violence. And, you know, that, that's pretty alarming to think that those were the things that were actually appealing about it. Well, you probably heard in the news this past week that a federal judge dismissed the better part of a civil rights lawsuit, alleging that the Trump administration abused its power. And earlier, an inspector general's report had found there wasn't enough evidence to say the president ordered the part cleared specifically for his photo op. All the same, this became a defining moment in Trump's presidency, and it highlighted the growing role that religious nationalism is playing in American politics. And that was why one of our very first interviews looked at the theocratic agenda that is trying to undermine the separation of church and state. Our hosts, Will Hitchcock and Siva Vadianathan, spoke with Hedstrom, a colleague of theirs at UVA, who specializes in the history of Protestant religious practice and culture in the United States. And we're going to replay much of that conversation now. So let's pick up where Siva asked Matt how it is he explains the strong support for Donald Trump among white evangelicals, which seems surprising, of course, given Trump's history of unsavory public and private behavior. You know, when I think about it, Ultimately, I think we all make compromises when we vote, right? There are no perfect candidates. And so in those compromises, we're not so much uh, betraying our values as we're revealing them, right? What are we willing to compromise and what not? What do we prioritize? 
And here, when we look at white evangelical conservatives and their support for Trump, I think we see that access to power is probably more important than personal purity or piety, right, than the character of the president. This, of course, is quite different than what they were saying in the 90s during the Bill Clinton era. But ultimately, I don't think evangelicals are unique in this at all. I mean, when I vote, I'm actually more interested in the public actions of the people I vote for than in their private lives or their personal behavior. So, you know, I don't think I don't think they're unique in that sense. And when Trump talked about Supreme Court justices and he put out his list of justices, they looked at that and they said, yeah, that's what we that's what we want. Matt, before we get too far into our conversation about the evangelical community and its role in our politics today, can you just walk us through the fault lines uh, that run through the evangelical community on race? We're talking principally about an ideology that has emerged from white evangelical conservatives, but there is a black evangelical community that may or may not align at all with these um, ideas and principles. How attentive to that divide should we be as analysts and scholars? Well, on, on the one hand, I think we need to be uh, centrally attentive to it. Uh, it. We can only talk about white evangelicals when we talk about, say, support for Trump, because, of course, the number of African Americans who support Trump is extremely low. Uh, and in fact, there's some debate even whether at this point the term evangelical can properly be applied to the black church. There are many African American uh, Protestant Christians, for example, that if you were to go through a kind of theological checklist, would line up very consistently with the tenets of, of their white evangelical co-religionists, and yet they don't use the term evangelical because it has been so thoroughly co-opted by a certain political uh, agenda. You know, the old saying that 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour in American life remains, and it remains within American evangelicalism profoundly. Uh, the, the, the name of the show is, is Democracy in Danger. It's, it's not Democrats in danger, right? It's not, about, it's not about American politics and its partisan nature per se. So we're curious about um, sort of a larger question, and that is the relationship between elements of these political trends and the commitment to democracy that this country has had, maybe has now, maybe might not have in the future. And, and you know, some analysts of uh, this contemporary religious dynamic have used the term Christian nationalism to describe uh, a new kind of political ideology that, that seems to have taken root among evangelical Protestants or white evangelical Protestants. So uh, does this term Christian nationalism work for you? What does it mean? Um, is it a useful way to talk about what's going on now and what are its implications for democracy? Yeah, big, big questions. Um, I'm actually quite taken with the term Christian nationalism. I might even prefer a, a related term that some scholars have tried to put forward, but hasn't quite gotten the same traction. And that is the term Christianism, you know, kind of uh, borrowed from Islamism, which to me is a way of of really framing this as a political ideology in sort of religious terms, or maybe with some theological elements, than fundamentally a, a sort of version or variety of Christianity. But if Christian nationalism is the term that has currency, I'm, I'm perfectly fine with it. When I, when I hear the term Christian nationalism, what I think it means most fundamentally is simply the idea that the United States is 
or has been or ought to be a Christian nation. And this can take a variety of forms. It can take a, a kind of theological form, you know, this very old idea that the United States has received some sort of divine blessing, that it has a divine mission in the world, that American success, prosperity, military might is evidence of this divine blessing and are the tools to be used for this divine mission. Kind of more narrowly, there's the related sense that government in the United States should privilege Christianity and American public life. And this shows up in, you know, Christmas displays on public land or Christian language from politicians. It shows up in the so-called religious uh, freedom agenda. Uh, this is about sort of Christianity in American public life. And there are extreme forms of this that are really um, highly theocratic. They're sometimes called dominionism. This idea that Christians should have dominion. It calls for a full erasure of the separation of, of church and state. Matt, I'm curious um, in your uh, use of the term Christianism and dominionism, these are uh, terms that are trying to get at the heart of this religious political ideology. Where do these advocates of these ideas want to take the country? What, what is their vision? What's the end state? I mean, a theocracy in America is kind of hard to imagine, but is there a kind of social or political order that these voices uh, are searching for? So. I would agree with you that a, a full-fledged theocracy, sort of, you know, Iran 1979 is, is kind of hard to imagine in the United States. It's not what keeps me up at night. But there are those, we should be clear, who, who that is their end goal, right? And they're out there. But more than that, I think it is an effort to, um, as I said, kind of keep Christianity in a privileged place or renew or augment its privileged place in American public life. That's a fundamentally kind of illiberal sensibility. It's not um, a, a notion of the equality of all citizens. It's that there are some citizens are more equal than others. And I think there are ways in which that could very realistically come to be. Lastly, though, I would say that Christian nationalism has become powerfully, and I think this is very important to understanding support for Trump, a kind of identity, a tribal identity. We are Christians. And this is sort of our country, this take America back language. And this is how it gets so closely uh, tied up into questions related to race and immigration, kind of clash of civilizations. It, it has occurred to me and other observers uh, re regarding the immigration debates that we see now, that those folks coming from Latin America into the United States tend to be more Christian than the average of the white American population. In other words, if you're concerned with the Christian character of the United States, you should want more immigration from Latin America. And yet, of course, we don't see that uh, among the Christian nationalists. And I think that really gets to how centrally uh, race is not only just sort of bound up into these ideas of Christian nationalism, but in, in some ways, maybe even more important than just kind of purely the Christian identity of the country. And I would say also, in this, a kind of traditional ordering of society that is highly patriarchal. And so this is, in a way, another way that we can explain the sort of tolerance for Trump's sexual conquests and swagger and all the rest, you know. Uh, for some, I think this is not a bug, but a feature, right? This is a display of a kind of uh, patriarchal authority that they see as related to the way in which society should be properly ordered.
So if uh, humans are supposed to have dominion, uh, power over the earth and all of its resources, right? It's been granted by God for our use, right? Uh, that raises some pretty interesting implications for things as broad and as important as climate policy, right? Are we are we supposed to be burning the gifts that God gave us and and and, and that He put deep into the earth? And I, I also wonder about the implications for Enlightenment habits of thought on which Democratic Republican ideology is founded, right? Or we're supposed to, in a democratic republic, be able to have deliberations and debates with some level of trust in empiricism, uh, uh, some shared sense of evidence, and you know, a, a direct appeal to authority, a direct appeal to scripture as an argument ender seems to be incompatible with that. Uh, are we seeing with the rise of a very muscular, articulated Christian nationalism or dominionism, uh, a, a real threat to those habits of mind in public life. Yeah, so I would I would make a distinction between dominionism and Christian nationalism more broadly. I think that dominionism is a kind of particular subset of Christian nationalism, a, a, the most extreme version of Christian nationalism. And the dominionists, they would say simply that they would make a theological argument about human nature. They would say human nature is fundamentally sinful and flawed. Human reason is therefore unreliable as a guide to proper life, both as an individual and as the proper ordering of society. And therefore, the only true guide is God's revealed word. And so therefore, you know, all of these things that you talk about in terms of the, the enlightenment and the kind of robust civic debate based on reason and evidence, um, these, are, these are false paths because they rely on faulty instruments those faulty instruments being human beings and human reason. And fortunately, we are not left alone with those devices. We have God to guide us. You know, you're right to say that it's fundamentally contradictory to the very nature and premises of our kind of constitutional order and our small r Republican values. Matt, you know, I'm, I'm curious about if I could ask you to, to dig dig a bit deeper historically on this story as well, right? Because I, I think about all the varieties of American Christianity uh, and all of the ways that it has contributed through its struggles, its activism, its theological shifts and splits to an enriching and expansion of the cultures and practices of American democracy. I think about how, how much the story of religious liberty is informed by the, the experience and struggles of the Mormon church. I'm, I think about the ways in which abolition movements were in many ways led by uh, of, uh, different Protestant leaders. I'm, I'm, of course, struck by the influence of Protestantism on the civil rights movement, uh, the influence of Protestantism on the rise of American popular music and, and, and all of its, uh, you know, small d democratic glories. Um, what does American Protestantism offer us today as perhaps an enrichment, an expansion, and a deepening of the culture and practice of American democracy? Yeah, that, thanks for that question. Um, I would add to your list, you know, I'm, I'm working now on a book about American religion and the United Nations, which is really sort of a book about how Americans have thought about and fought about what it means to be a citizen of the world. And 
Uh, I'm struck uh, again in that book by how Central American Protestants were in their kind of ecumenical organizing, which was very much a transatlantic enterprise, um, how important that was to laying the groundwork for so much of the uh, transatlantic international cooperation that resulted in the United Nations. And so one thing I would add to your list is that um, American Christianity has contributed a, a global sensibility to Americans. I mean, and that goes back to the 19th century with returning missionaries. Many Americans first learned about peoples and places all around the world through church networks. And there's pretty good historical evidence that many of these returning missionaries brought with them changed racial sensibilities. Surprisingly, many of them came back as fervent anti-colonialists and anti-racists because of what they had seen overseas. So yeah, there, there's a long history of American religion, American Christianity contributing to kind of a robust democracy, and I would say to kind of liberal values broadly. And, you know, it, it's a question now when we think about the religious right, we've been talking about things like dominionism, which I think are fundamentally illiberal. Um, what does that look like in our contemporary politics? Matt, speaking of liberal values and illiberalism, I want to get your read on something that's just happened that I think our listeners are going to be curious about hearing your views on, and that is the Supreme Court decision in Bostock v. Clayton County. So in this case, the court, which, as you know, as a conservative majority, ruled that workplace discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity violates the Civil Rights Act. And I'm wondering how Christian conservatives view this decision. How do they place it into their understanding of the Christian nation that you've just been describing? Yeah, it may be a little bit early, of course, to be able to give a full answer to that question. But broadly speaking, I think it fits into narratives of decline that are often tied into the court. These go back to the, the seminal cases of the 1960s that remove mandatory Bible reading or prayer from the public schools and then goes through the Roe v. Wade decision and on and on. And, and the court seen as one of the central instruments of the decline of American religious values, of the, the loss of the United States identity as a Christian nation. And I think this case, it was shocking to some because of the conservative majority, but these religious conservatives have a paradigm to put that in, and that paradigm is uh, the dangers of the court. And I think, if anything, this will renew their central focus on the court in their politics and in their voting. We can look at some of the uh, liberal justices and their ages, and that's going to motivate a lot of folks to get out and vote. Matt Hedstrom, thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy in Danger. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. That was Matthew Hedstrom, Associate Professor of Religious Studies at the University of Virginia. His first book about American spirituality in the 20th century was The Rise of Liberal Religion. Matt's forthcoming work is called The Religion of Humanity, Faith, Politics, and the United Nations. Democracy in Danger is part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to find all our sister shows. We'll be right back after this message from our friends. Are you concerned about how America is staggering from a tumultuous transfer of power and ongoing polarization? Then the Science of Politics podcast is for you. 
The Science of Politics, hosted by Matt Grossman, will give you a data-driven understanding of what's going on behind the scenes in American politics with the latest empirical studies and without any partisan punditry. The Science of Politics is produced by the Niskanen Center, a nonpartisan national think tank. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you know what's really interesting about this conversation we had with Matt? He has brought uh, real historical sophistication to what is often presented as a very flat, purely transactional relationship between uh, you know white evangelical Christians and Donald Trump. And and I think you know many people make the mistake of crying hypocrisy. Uh, when looking at this allegiance, uh, you know, I think we can see from uh, what Matt has brought to us that it's a much more deep and interesting phenomenon. And, and I think more importantly, what Matt is bringing up are some deep historical, cultural, religious, and political trends that are likely to influence the health of democracy in the United States for many decades. I agree, Siva. I mean, I think Matt really uh, showed us that the increasing strength and influence of the Christian right is not something that has just occurred. It's It's been going on for 50 years, and it is, in fact, a major source of illiberal trends in our democracy, but this is by design. You know, white Protestant evangelical conservatives have been working uh, to advance their agenda, uh, to bend U.S. culture and politics away from a secular, humanistic uh, vision of America, and they want to put Christianity at the front and center of American public life. And I think uh, Matt is telling us that Christian nationalists really do want to erase the divide between church and state. Well, we also learn from Matt, and we we always have to remember that there is a wide range of approaches to politics among white Christian conservatives in America. Uh, and so it really takes an attention to specificity and detail uh, to make sense of the moment. And, and also, I think we can see that American evangelical Protestantism has simultaneously enriched and strengthened and broadened American democracy and has at times threatened the very operational foundations of American democracy. In a way, we can see that uh, we should welcome more voices, more arguments in the public sphere from a variety of uh, religious perspectives, for sure. But when we talk about Christian nationalism, there are winners and there are losers. And, you know, as Christian uh, conservatives have played a more influential role in public policy making, we can identify the people who are on the short end of the stick, non-white people, immigrants, LGBTQ Americans, uh, even people who want to organize our society around science and empiricism are suddenly put on the defensive. So this is a debate with real policy implications for the shape of our democracy and our society. Absolutely. It's also important to remember that Christian nationalism in its various forms exists beyond the United States as well. It is a strong force in Brazil. Uh, and we've talked about Brazil before on this uh, series, and we will talk about it again. It is a growing force in Italy. It is a phenomenon in many of the Eastern European nations, uh, including many of the former Soviet republics. 
Christian nationalism in an Eastern Orthodox version is tremendously powerful in Russia. So, you know, a lot of the themes and practices that we see, again, in the United States, and we refract it through Donald Trump because he's so unavoidable, uh, are present in other contexts, in other places, uh, in some places with greater political effect and power, in other places with minimal uh, effect and power. Um, But it's a really fascinating trend. I think it's safe to say that Christian nationalism around the world is better defined, better articulated, and in many cases stronger than it has been in many decades. Well, that's it for this rebroadcast of Democracy in Danger. Stay with us as we drop some more best of episodes every two weeks this summer. In the meantime, let's keep this conversation going. Are you an evangelical Christian? What do you make of this idea of Christian nationalism? And do you consider it a threat to democracy in the United States? Shoot us a tweet at dndpodcast or go to dindanger.org. You'll find all our episodes from seasons one and two, plus show notes, links to related news, and lots more about ongoing threats to democracy in the United States and around the world. You can subscribe to Democracy in Danger wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you're hearing, or even if you don't, leave us a review and some stars. Today's episode was produced by me, Robert Armengol, with help from Jennifer Ludovici. Our interns are Denzel Mitchell, Jane Frankel, and Ellie Bashkow. Support comes from the University of Virginia's Democracy Initiative and from the College of Arts and Sciences. Democracy in Danger is a project of UVA's Deliberative Media Lab. The show is distributed by the Virginia Audio Collective from WTJU Radio in Charlottesville. I'm Siva Vadianathan. And I'm Will Hitchcock. See you again soon.